Welcome back to another episode of the Sarah Cast, Conversations in Social Emotional Learning. Thanks again for joining me for another deep dive into the critical practice of supporting social and emotional wellness. As you know by now, I'm Sarah, the founder and CEO of leading social emotional learning provider, Move This World. When we started doing this work over a decade ago, no one knew what social emotional learning meant. We were waving our hands in the air, screaming, people, pay attention to this. This work matters. We were pushing boulders up mountains and aggregating all of the academic research to support that an increase in empathy led to a decrease in community-level conflict and violence. Now, there's so much conversation around social-emotional learning that we can have a podcast about the subject. At the time, 13 years ago, there was very little in terms of policy or practice driving this work. Most adults, in fact, were still resistant to the idea of a personal practice or even doing this for their students. But fast forward to 2020, when we hear about systemic SEL, state SEL policies, and even in some states, statewide SEL standards and competencies. But where do these kinds of policies and practices come from? What science or research informs them? We often think about what SEL looks and feels like in the classroom or at the school level in practice, but what does it look like on the state or national level? Who's thinking about that? I'm excited to bring you today's conversation with Dr. Nick Yoder, an expert in SEL research policy and practice. Nick has extensive experience supporting SEL practitioners through his work as Director of Policy and Practice at CASEL. It's worth noting that since we spoke for this interview, Nick has started a new role as Director of Research Policy and Practice at National University. I hope you'll walk away from today's conversation with a deeper understanding of the policies and science that drives classroom practices. So I'm thrilled to be joined today by Nick Yoder, who is the Director of Policy and Practice at the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. Within his role, Nick oversees multiple policy and practice-related initiatives to support state education agencies as they plan, develop, and implement statewide SEL policies and practices. Before joining the CASEL team, Nick was a senior consultant at the American Institutes for Research, a former Chicago public schools educator, an instructional coach for teachers in the Detroit area, and a pre-service instructor. He is also a friend of mine and of this world for many years. I'm excited to dive into conversation with Nick today surrounding SEL policies and practice. So, Nick, I thought it would only be fitting that we could kick off our conversation with a little creative warm-up to allow us to center ourselves and check in with one another, given that it is Wednesday, the middle of the week, um, and all that we're carrying with us prior to this conversation and the responsibilities that we have after this conversation so that we can be fully present over the next 45 minutes in this discussion. So let's just take a moment, close your eyes if you're comfortable. If you're not comfortable closing your eyes, we can just look to the ground beneath us and take a few moments to pay attention to your breath. Notice each inhale. And each exhale. And as we breathe, 
let's identify how we're feeling in this moment. And if we could reflect that feeling through a sound, what might that sound be? If that feeling were a word or a phrase, what might that be? And when we've identified our sound to reflect how we're feeling, we'll open our eyes. And so what we'll do, Nick, is we'll share our sound and then we'll mirror that back to one another. So we'll both engage in the sound and then we can share a word or phrase to expand on that feeling. So I can go first uh, to model. So I'm feeling woo, woo, woo. So then we, and then we both go, woo, woo, woo. I'm feeling overwhelmed. All right. Um, so then my sound is, <laughs> So then we both go, <laughs> I am feeling uh, energized. Awesome. So this is really helpful information as we move into this discussion because it's good for me to know that you, Nick, feel energized. And maybe it's just context for you to know that I'm feeling overwhelmed. We just wrapped a huge production um, for all, all of our new content. So it's just a lot to sort through and think about. Um, but we can use that, this exercise in any interaction to help shape how we uh, interact with one another. So Nick, um, you have led statewide efforts to support systemic SEL implementation. Can you explain what you mean when we refer to SEL as systemic and why this is important? Sure. First, Sarah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to talk to you and Move This World uh, fans uh, to talk about social-emotional learning policies and practices at the, the state, district, and school level. Um, so yeah, so systemic SEL is an approach to create equitable learning conditions that actively involve all pre-K to grade 12 students in learning and practicing their social, emotional, and academic competencies. So these conditions require aligned policies and practices and resources all the way from the state level to the district level to the school level for local schools and communities then to be able to enhance the capacities, both the personal and professional capacities of adults to actually think about and implement and improve evidence-based programs and practices, create inclusive cultures that foster caring relationships with youth, um, ensure that youth have voice, agency, and character and really support a coordinated school family community partnership. And we think systemic SEL is really critical because it's not just about classroom focused set of practices or isolated uh, to explicit instruction of social emotional competencies, but rather a coordinated set of policies and practices across all levels that attunes to the intersectionality of social emotional and academic development. So put 
a little bit more simply, <laughs> we know that our social emotional skills and competencies are influenced by our environmental conditions. They're with us at all times. Um, and it's constantly then important for us to think about the multiple and contexts, including schools, that influence those de that development and how those policies and practices within each of these respective contexts influences that development. So really thinking about that holistic nature of individuals and of the settings we come um, in with to really support students and adults. So when you talk about systemic SEL, I'm curious, I actually had a conversation yesterday with a teacher who said to me, Sarah, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing SEL. I'm not teaching SEL. I don't have an SEL curriculum, but it's happening in my classroom. And so given your definition of systemic SEL and what that looks like at the various levels, what would you say to someone who may not be doing it in the way that you've described as systemic or explicit, but is saying, well, I know it's happening in my classroom. What would you say to, to someone who's thinking that right now? Yeah, no, I think it's um, really important to know that when we're thinking about social emotional development, right? Like that is the, our process of developing and acquiring these skills, knowledge, and attitude, right? And that can ha happen in multiple domains and multiple settings in multiple ways. So when an individual teacher says, yes, I'm implementing a social emotional curriculum or I'm really embedding it within my instruction or I'm really attuning to my students' social emotional competency development, then yeah, social emotional learning is happening. And we would not say that social emotional learning is not happening. When we think about that systemic approach, we are really trying to think about the coordination among the educational system, all the way from the schoolhouse, all the way down to the classroom level, about how are we actively supporting kids in these multiple domains. So it's not just isolated to that one individual teacher who's mm -hmm. doing really great things in her classroom, but really mm -hmm. thinking about how can we get teacher A, teacher B, teacher C, and the entire school ecosystem, including our mm -hmm. community partners and our families, to really support and engage and really embrace um, the social emotional development and understanding how that's intersected with academics and cognitive development for youth. Mm -hmm. Great. Can you help us, given that, break down what social emotional learning might look like at the state level, the district level, school level, and even in an independent classroom like the teacher I spoke with yesterday? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So. One of the really nice things about Castle is we actually have a theory of action that is the same for the state, district, and school level, right? And we think that there's uh, four key focus areas across all levels to really support systemic social-emotional learning. And while the focus areas are the same, obviously the actions and activities are going to look slightly different depending upon which level of the ecosystem you're actually thinking about for the youth and adults in the classroom or in the after school or expanded learning setting. So the first area is really building that foundational support and planning for your social emotional learning efforts, right? We really wanna be able to define what SEL is, right? There are a lot of definitions of what SEL means. We put social emotional and in front of a lot of terms, right? And so it's having that clear definition of what we mean by social emotional learning, social emotional development, social emotional needs, social emotional wellness, right? Like each of these have a unique 
understanding. And so at each level of the system, it's really important to define what that means and what is that going to look like, right? So how is the state going to define success when they're thinking about their SEL efforts across their districts and schools? Same thing for district and then same thing for the school setting. And this is also really about kind of bringing in then our community partners and building those intentional relationships to ensure that when we're implementing social emotional learning, it's um, equity focused, it's culturally responsive, it's attuning to the unique needs and lived experiences of all youth and adults, right? So we're bringing in stakeholders, not to say that there's one way to do social emotional learning, but to try and bring that coalition together to say the multiple ways that social emotional learning can happen in families, in schools, and after school settings, right? So then each level of the system should be doing that, right, in order to promote good policies and practices, state, district, and school. Our second is building the capacity of educators, their social emotional competencies and capacities. And so this looks like in a, in a couple different ways, right? First, we want to be able to uh, attune to the adults, right? Like it's really important. And one of the really great things we've learned about SEL over the years is that adults need to understand what SEL is and what it means for their own being, right? So what does it mean for you to be self-aware, to manage yourself in school settings, in your personal relationships, out in the community? What does it mean to build good relationships, right? How are we making good decisions? And that obviously these are really important things to consider right now as we are engaging in a very unique space and time. Um, and so each system then supports adult competencies and capacities. And then the other part, capacities then is how can you actually implement social emotional learning for your kids, right? So what is that professional learning? What is that training and does that support mean and look like? And so state education agencies can put on large conferences across the state. They can build professional learning modules, right? They can um, do these district partnerships where they're bringing districts or schools together to really think about and understand and build those competencies and capacities within the adults within each of those systems to support that work. Same thing for districts. It's really important then to bring schools together to think about how leaders are supporting and engaging in social emotional development. And the same thing for schools. How are you bringing your teachers together to really support their learning and their own competencies? And what are those conditions you are creating so that they can actually engage and process that time? The third component then is building um, and supporting student social emotional development, right? This is where you're implementing or selecting and implementing an evidence-based social emotional learning program. You're ensuring that you're uh, adapting it to meet the local needs of your students. Um, you are uh, ensuring that you have sufficient supports and processes in place. Um, and you're engaging the community and family partners to ensure that there's alignment across the social emotional learning strategies you're doing in schools, as well as within the community at large. And then the final piece is using data, right? We know, uh, and using it for continuous improvement, uh, understanding students' competencies, understanding the climate, understanding the practices. These are all critically important for each level of the system to really promote and engage growth and development. So that's kind of like the state, district, school. Then the last part of your question was really then on classroom-based instruction. And we know that there's multiple ways to support social emotional development in the classroom settings, right? There is um, and we know typically of three strategies, all of which are incredibly important to do simultaneously. One is the explicit instruction, right? We don't just learn our social emotional skills by osmosis, right? We need mm -hmm. to be intentionally taught those and learn those and practice those skills and competencies through active instruction where it's sequenced out, um, where it's explicit. So 
we're told what those skills and competencies are so we can think about how we can apply and adapt and transfer those skills to other domains. The second is we can embed it within academic instruction. So if we're in an ELA or a math class, like what are the social emotional social emotional competencies we are learning um, within those content areas, right? When we have to, in a math class, um, explain our answer to our peers, which is a math standard, like that's actually a social emotional competency because you have to gauge your audience. You have to be able to communicate clearly. Like these are all social emotional competencies. And then finally, we really use instructional practices that really promote a safe and, and caring environment that really embeds SEL across the classroom setting, right? So you are using cooperative learning. It's the way you uh, manage your classroom and it's the way you talk to your students, right? It's the way that you provide feedback. So there's these practices that you can implement that help kids um, refine, um, reflect and adapt and apply their competencies uh, within the school setting. Thank you. Um, so, so much of that sounds like it. Uh, dependent on the adults. We often think about social emotional learning being focused on our students, but much of what you explained requires adult work. Where would you suggest folks begin when thinking about their own practice, their own self-work, their own exploration of social emotional learning as leaders and as educators? Yeah, that's a uh, another great question. So, I think it's really important to think about um, our own emotional state and like our own emotional triggers, particularly for classroom educators. I know when I was teaching, there were like little things that would just irritate me, right? And I don't know, like <laughs> that I would sense like my emotional, like I would get emotionally aroused. Like I don't know what was happening. Like, I, and I couldn't really process it. I wasn't given time to process it, right? And it's not like I had a educator or a coach um, or a principal at the time um, because this is, you know, many, many years ago when I started teaching it, to really process that with me. Right. And so it wasn't until like I was introduced to social emotional learning um, that I really kind of took a step back and wanted to reflect even on my own practices to see how I could improve as a researcher and instructional coach, as a, um, a scholar to think about, what triggered me and why? You know, like I didn't, when my students, for some reason, when they would like get rowdy in line, like that is what triggered me. And I don't know why it triggered me. I still don't know why it did, but it did. And students could see my emotional reaction. So like, I think as we process and engage in SEL, if we're not taking a step back and thinking about where are my competencies? What am I good at? What do I need to improve upon? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's always a really, really great place to start. And I think is one. And then I think the second really good place to start is actually understanding the neuroscience of learning and development and understanding the neuroscience of, of, of emotions and what does that mm -hmm. mean and look like, right? Because your activity that you even engaged us in, in the beginning of the conversation um, changed like the hormones in our brains to center us, right? So it's not just like, like a fuzzy, dovey, dovey kind of activity, but it's actually a neurobiological process to help us become more fully engaged. And I think that also helps us understand and engage in those practices in a little bit more intentional way than we would um, if we just think they're nice 
nice hat, nice to have, but not required to actually be mm-hmm. more fully present in the environment. So we're in. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there any, so for both of those pieces, understanding the neuroscience and also taking a step back and understanding our own personal triggers and our strengths and deficits. Are there any resources or books um, that you would recommend to listeners to check out to better understand their own emotional state and the neuroscience of, of emotion? Yeah, so I, um, I actually developed a, a self-assessment for educators to kind of self-reflect on their own social-emotional competencies in relation to instruction. Um, which is really interesting. It's like self-assessing uh, on our uh, instructional practices. So I think that's a really good resource. Castle also has a lot of resources on adult social-emotional competencies. Um, that would be good to, re- to reflect on. So I think both of those resources are really good, particularly around um, adult SEL. Um, among There's a number of other SEL programs out there that are beginning to support adult SEL and then I think in terms of neuroscience, um, the science of learning and development, there's another initiative called the Sold Alliance. Um, they do a lot of work on really understanding the, the neurobiological basis of learning and development. So I think they have some really great resources for uh, practitioners, researchers, and policymakers to, to review and look at in order to have a better understanding uh, of that basis. Great, thank you. What common challenges do you see state education agencies face as they plan and implement SEL policies and practices? So I'm gonna, uh, I don't wanna call states out and saying about common challenges. So I'm gonna, uh, because every state has their own journey, right? Mm -hmm. And how they decide to do what's best for them and their constituents um, and the educators that they serve. So instead of talking about challenges, I'm gonna talk about some high leverage actions I think states could take in order Great. to be successful. <laughs> 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 you can probably do some policy work right there, that question. <laughs> so um, one of the, and a lot of these I started mentioning earlier, but I think one of the biggest things that we need to do and that states should do in, in this work is bringing multiple stakeholders together. Um, and some of the states that I think have done this and particularly well have really brought commissions for people of color together, right? Um, There is a concern in the field that SCL is going to whitewash, right? So be used to promote um, the success of white students, but then uh, monitor behavior for students of color. And uh, we definitely don't want that to happen, right? Like we want SCL to be an asset-based approach that really leverages on the strengths of all individuals and all communities to really lift each other up. So I think it's really important for state education agencies to bring these commissions together to really best understand what does that work mean and look like for different communities? Um, And and how can uh, we ensure that the work, particularly the standards development, the implementation supports are going to work for students in different environments and through different cultures, through different families, right? Family structures, all that's really important to do. It's also really important to bring multiple stakeholders together because we want to ensure that this is actually meeting the lived experiences of educators, leaders, district leaders, community partners, um, support staff, social work, right? Like we want to bring all these folks together because there's, it's really easy to, to think of SEL as only for um, counselors or only for social workers or only for psychologists or only for teachers when everyone needs to come to the table, including bus drivers, custodial staff, 
Um, uh, right? We all need to bring and come together to understand what does SEL mean in our context and how can we all collectively support the social emotional growth of students. So bringing those folks to the table right away is critically important. We also think it's really important for, to help um, districts and schools think about what is SEL. So a lot of states have developed standards, some have called them competencies, um, just based on political reasons. So they, to help students to know, to know what, for students to be able to, to define what they can and should do in the classroom related to social emotional development. Developmentally, right? Because we know SEL is a developmental. So a lot of states have brought community partners together to develop their social emotional learning competencies. But bringing those in isolation is not good. Like we need implementation supports through implementation guidance, professional learning, resources, right? Like all of those things need to be um, connected to the development of those standards. So it's not just a, hey, you're telling me I should focus on how to identify emotions for fifth graders, but like, how do I do that, right? Like, and we need to be able to support um, students to be able to do that through a high quality curriculum, through implementation guides, like through all those really good resources that we know are important when we're doing like ELA and math and science and social studies, like these things are also important for, for SEL as well. And so then part of that then is we need to integrate SEL into other policy priorities. Like what are some of those high leverage policies that are moving the work forward? So when I first started, I wrote an implementation guide for one state and I was like, oh, this other state will really like this implementation guide too. So I just kind of like modified it, like added some like state examples. And I was like, here you go. And we got feedback from the stakeholders and like, we don't want this. This is not connected to the work that we're doing. And so it, like, it really helped me think through um, that SEL really needs to be connected to the high leverage actions that educators are already taking, because that will then just help them more easily make those connections and engage in the work moving forward. So whether that's teacher evaluation system or MTSS systems or workforce efforts, right? Like all of these things are connected to SEL and, and can embed SEL. So we just need to figure out what are those high leverage actions that people are tuning to and kind of continue to refine um, what that work is and what that work uh, will be. And then the final two, I think, are going to be communication, right? So communicating out. Um, we know if folks don't know about any of the standards or competencies or implementation supports, people aren't going to use them, right? And so if we're not communicating those out, having a good dissemination plan, ensuring that folks know how to use them um, is critically important. And part of that then is having the financial and human resources to push them out, right? Like having a dedicated staff person to engage in this work will be critical. And then having resources for folks to engage in professional learning and support systems and structures are going to be also really important moving the work forward. So without naming states, because we're not going to do that, <laughs> um, given that asset-based response and leading with you know, advice and recommendations, where have you seen resistance or where have you come up against roadblocks, challenges in moving any of those pieces forward or taking action in any of those areas? Yeah, no. Uh, so we have seen challenges in a couple of different ways. One, um, and mind you, we've had a lot less resistance than I was anticipating when I started state policy eight years ago in social emotional learning, right? It's 
Um, there has been some, but not as much as anticipated, uh, which has been really nice, right? Um, so and why do you, and sorry to interrupt, but why do you think that is? Why do you think, I guess, why did, why did you anticipate more resistance and why do you think there's been less? So I think there, uh, I was concerned that there was going to be more resistance um, because people sometimes think of it as a touchy-feely thing, right? Like that's mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whereas there may not have as been much as much buy-in as I wanted, there wasn't as mm-hmm. much resistance, right? So, which was okay. good. So I was thinking that people, because it's going to be touchy-feely, um, people might think it might be uh, through one political orientation over another. Like, I, like yeah. I just, you just don't know. Um, and because it has it hadn't been a huge focus in schools with the strong push on academics, mm-hmm. where it sort of took a back seat uh, mm-hmm. for a number of years in the education sector, right? So mm-hmm. it, that, that was also a reason why I thought there'd be pushback. And so I, I don't, and I think there wasn't as much pushback because there had been such a hard focus on academics and accountability, right? People were like, this isn't what's good for kids. Like we need to bring in the holistic aspect of, of children because if we're just drilling and killing them on tests, like they're not going to be engaged. They're not going to be motivated. They're going to act out more. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we want in the future. Like that's not the kind of uh, productive citizens we want. That's not the employees that we want, right? Like we want more engaged citizens that are critically, that are critical thinkers that can solve problems that will show up to work on time that can get along and communicate, right? We want a workforce, uh, um, that's not someone who just sits and drills and kills, but is more innovative mm-hmm. and, and entrepreneurial in their thinking, right? So, we're, which is where a lot of SEL comes from. And so, th- some of the the aspects then of SEL, even though uh, people generally are supportive of it when you talk about it in like those domains, right? Like critical thinking, problem solving, sometimes was the term, right? Social emotional, um, and so folks have thought about different ways to do that uh, in terms of like employability skills frameworks. They've thought about them um, into career ready frameworks, into thinking about what does it mean in the relationship to character education, um, or even just sometimes just changing social emotional to something else, um, to another acronym or something where they're using the same five core competencies that CALS promotes, mm-hmm. um, but kind of framing them in slightly different ways. So it's been really interesting to see it from that political lens of like how mm-hmm. people engaged in this work, but knowing that regardless of the framework that people are using, they're trying to do good things for kids, which is ultimately what's really important. Mm. Yeah. It is interesting how we can all um, be talking about the same thing, but say it, you know, in a million different ways. Yeah. Um, How have you seen, given all that, how have you seen SEL policy shift over the years? So I'm going to start at the federal level and then I'll work down to the state level. Um, so I think first in the, in the national federal policy realm, um, we've had champions for a number of years. Tim Ryan from Ohio, Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio, he's done a fantastic job of introducing bills over the years to support student and adult and family social emotional development. Um, And so it's been a really great way to collaborate with him on a lot of these different bills and these efforts. And and we have seen then that translate into a lot of progress, particularly within the last couple of years. 
Um, so first, Congress passed a, a technical assistance center to support states in social emotional learning. So they developed a social emotional learning and school safety technical assistance center um, that now provides uh, support to state education agencies and local education agencies to really think about um, coordinated systems of support and communication strategies uh, in this space, which has been really nice to see. Uh, in the fiscal year 20 budget, there was $123 million appropriated. Uh, so in the actual appropriations bill budget uh, was passed to support social emotional learning through um, research on evidence-based programs, through uh, supporting evidence-based uh, professional learning supports for educators, uh, through community schools and, and acts. So it's been really great to see that push. We've seen in the passage of ESSA that we are now not only defining student success by um, academic scores, but are it really affords states the opportunity to define it in a more holistic way. Uh, and so we've seen a lot of these bills now being pushed out both federally from the legislation and then also enacted by the department, uh, the U.S. Department of Ed, to really support and engage in this work. So it's been really nice to see at the federal level even a push for social emotional development. And then we've also seen a, a tremendous increase in the, the amount of states support for SEL. So Castle has a collaborating states initiative where we have a community of practice of states. And we uh, started in 2016 and we had, we were able to select up to eight states uh, to work with us. We had eight states at that time. Um, so it's now three and a half years later, we are up to um, approximately 40 states who are in this work wow. in a variety of different ways. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And still growing, right? Like we have a number of states who we are actively recruiting and attempting to come to our meetings and providing coaching and support. So just the sheer number of states who are interested and invested in this work is tremendous. And we see that then through a number of different policy angles. And most of our work is with state education agencies. So this is typically like little P non-regulatory policies that folks are putting out to really support this, right? To go back to that, um, providing guidance for, for local context is, is incredibly important in this space. And so we've seen the number of states from in 2016 to have four states that had SEL standards. We're now at 19, right? Three and a half years later. Later, wow. We had zero states that had uh, SEL leads, like a dedicated HR, like right in HR, a person to support SEL. There's now 10, up to 10 that we're aware of, and I'm sure there's more. Uh, wow. There are zero states that had state district partnerships or doing some collaborative work around SEL in 2016. Now there's at least 10 that are doing this work, right? So we're seeing this momentum. 30 states, 30 plus states now have SEL websites and state-specific implementation guides. Mm. And in the COVID, we just did an analysis of COVID response plans. 38 states mentioned SEL, right? So it's like a growing momentum of support in how we see states supporting social emotional development, um, not only in this non-regulatory guidance then, but then also in the some regulatory and funds. Um, for example, the governor of New Hampshire just released a uh, um, in a school safety plan that all, uh, I think that all schools are required or encouraged to use the Choose Love social emotional learning program. Um, the Louisiana gover governor just um, instituted uh, a couple million dollars to select evidence-based programs for local districts right now. So like they're using CARES funds to support SEL. Like it's just a really nice way to see that, that states and districts are doubling down on this work and supporting um, 
youth and their and what they are needing, particularly right now as they process kind of being at home and what does that mean virtually versus in person and mm-hmm. um, what does it mean when they're seeing all the social unrest and economic instability, right? Like it's a lot of stuff that kids need to process right now and mm-hmm. giving educators and families um, tools and resources to help them process that has, has been really nice to see. If states are interested in learning more about your Collaborative States Initiative and want to apply, is there an application or where can they go to learn more information? Yeah, so it's really easy. We have um, a Collaborating States Initiative uh, portion of our website. Um, We pretty much welcome everyone to come in. And so there is an application, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can't still attend our meetings and uh, download our resources and whatnot. So we really try to provide some level of technical assistance and support to all states in this space. We do a lot of briefs and in, in, in documents and literature reviews and policy reviews to help kind of promote that. Uh, but it's pretty easy to find on our, on our website and welcome anyone or they're more than welcome to uh, contact me or anyone else at Castle. Great. Um, so given all of this momentum, especially in the last uh, few months with all that our students are experiencing, what do you expect for the future of SEL policy? <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot. I think one of the things, one of the big pushes that we're going to see is a, a huge connection to equity and culturally responsive practices. I know a number of states who are really trying to think about how can SEL really be used as a lever for equity and excellence, right? And how can they support their districts and schools and creating equitable environments for their youth um, using SEL as one of the levers in order to engage in that work. So, right, really attempting to attune to the students' lived experiences, attending to their cultures, identities, um, and family assets to really promote who they are as individuals through an asset-based approach. I think another way that we're going to see this work moving forward is we're going to continue to see more funding and resources related to social-emotional development. Um, And I think this means through a number of different ways, right? We'll see um, states providing funds to select and implement and adapt uh, evidence-based programs. Um, We'll see it around professional learning for adults. I think we'll also see it for uh, providing space and time for adults' own well-being and their own growth and development. Um, I will see... Uh, I think we'll see deeper connections to other efforts. I think some efforts that states are beginning to double down on and we're supporting two additional community, smaller communities to practice with states um, is on workforce preparation. So looking at CTE, employability skills, um, counseling, individualized learning programs, like how are how is SEL a part of all of those components, right? Like how are we supporting the development of, of students' skill sets um, that will help prepare them not only in the academic space, but in their career space. Um, And then also on multi-tiered systems of support, right? Lots of states are really trying to think very intentionally around their MTSS framework, so those tiered systems of support. And how does social emotional learning um, really promote that tier one approach? But then how can we help develop the competencies and skills for students in the tier, tier, tier two and tier three? So being much more intentional about uh, bringing together teachers, social workers, counselors, psychologists, school psychologists in that space to really promote the holistic development of youth, both from the behavior side as well as the academic side in that space. And I think there's going to be more in the teacher prep. Um, I think 
there are a number of teacher prep programs who are beginning to have endorsements in social emotional learning, doing micro credentialing in SEL, um, providing masters in social emotional learning. So I can see uh, policy catching up to teacher prep programs and encouraging promoting SEL within uh, professional teaching standards, both for pre-service and in-service teachers. So it's interesting that you mentioned funding being something that you see um, at the forefront or what's to come for SEL policy. You're not concerned at all given um, the economic impacts of COVID on state and local budgets? Uh, I think there is a concern um, for state and local budgets to uh, have a decrease in what they can spend for social emotional development. But I think what we're hearing from state leaders and district leaders is the need to begin with relationships first, right? And the need to support students in monitoring and reflecting um, on the trauma that has occurred to ensure that it's not traumatic for everyone, right? To ensure that um, they can process their feelings during this time, they can talk and have those honest conversations about health, inequality, racial injustice, right? Like diversity more broadly. So I think all of these things are education leaders see as important. And I think that they will leverage some of their funds that they receive from the federal government, funds that they can receive from localities, funds that are coming from philanthropy and business uh, to really support and engage the whole child rather than um, just doubling down on academics right now. I think there, I, I have hope that there will be a continued coordination around ensuring that there's access and support for all students. That would be great. That would be fantastic. <laughs> um, how can organizations and individuals learn more about advocating for SEL policy? Where can they begin? Yeah, so CASEL in and of itself isn't an advocacy organization. Um, we really try to be a uh, arm for learning and, and understanding of evidence-based programs and practices. So for states and districts in schools in the community at large, right? So we don't necessarily consider ourselves an advocacy organization, but, but there are ways that folks can engage in this. One, I think it's really important to understand the policy context in which your, your, school, your school and districts are in, right? So in really reflecting on what are those policies that hinder or promote social emotional development. So for example, do the accountability metrics or school safety measures equally promote social emotional development as they do school, school, like the hardening of schools as well as the social emotional development? Are they really focused on the academic components, components of accountability? Um, and are they creating climates to also support that academics, right? Like, so thinking about the overarching policy, like, so I think doing a deep dive in, into a specific state, and there are a number of ways then that, that folks can research those policies, right? They can look at, we do a lot of state scans. So you can look at the CASC website, Committee for Children does a lot of state, state scans. The Social Emotional Learning Center also does some policy scans. So those are really good ways to just have a good sense of the policy landscape within a state. I think the, another way um, is to really think about the policy mechanisms that you want to see in place and then partner with uh, organizations to host 
briefings for your legislator or to hold briefings and have meetings with a state education agency. We have seen uh, a number of schools bring their students and teachers in front of legislators um, and has been really powerful to see that growth and development. It's also really important if you're an educator or a parent or a student and you want a legislator, invite them in. Um, they love coming into schools. They want to see what's actually happening on the ground to promote that work. So uh, I think finding ways to hold briefings, finding ways to invite them in, I think those are key ways. Um, there's also ways to um, receive action alerts. So when, for example, um, funding for appropriations, for example, is one of the latest bills. So for the fiscal year 21, um, Committee for Children and Castle, we send out an action alert that you can sign and register and send a letter to your congressman or woman uh, at the federal level uh, supporting SEL, right? So I think there's a number of ways that folks can get involved. And then um, there's an organization called SEL for US, which promotes um, different, and they have uh, different um, state-specific locations. So SEL for um, New Jersey, for example, right? Like they're, they have um, state-specific chapters that you can get involved in. So looking at their website, seeing if there's a chapter already underway, and they do a lot of advocacy work and provide a lot of guidance on how you can advocate as well. So that's another way to, to get involved. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So much of, our, much of our discussion has been focused on policy, but from a practice, from the perspective of practice, um, how have you seen SEL practices shift over the years and what might you expect for the future? Yeah, so we know SEL practice has been around for decades, right? Just because we now have a field of social emotional learning doesn't mean that, which started in 1994, right, when Castle defined SEL, uh, doesn't mean that SEL was not happening way before then, right? Like it came from other teachers and researchers and policymakers and scholars really thinking about what is good for kids. And so we have constantly seen this growth and development of SEL thinking about programs and practices, thinking about what are those school-wide conditions that promote evidence-based policies and or programs and practices within uh, classrooms and schools. So we've seen this for a number of years. And so I think what we're going to begin to see in that shift then um, is a uh, refocus on equity, right? I think equity in, in culture is going to be critical as we begin thinking about and reflecting on evidence-based programs and practices on the data that we use to reflect on the implementation of those programs and practices and how they're actually being used. So I think equity culture is going to be front and center in a lot of conversations uh, to ensure that SEL it continues to be an asset-based approach that promotes the development and creates the environment for all youth to thrive, right? Because that's core to social emotional learning. Uh, and we want to ensure that's core. I think an additional focus and doubling down on adult SEL, right? We uh, have learned a lot when we focus first on adults in this space where they get a deep understanding of what SEL is and for themselves, I think that is going to be uh, continued to be continue to be promoted in the work uh, moving forward. And I think that's going to be critical. And I think understanding how SEL fits within different domains and understanding the contextual shift and the developmental shift um, in SEL is going to be important, right? Because how you use SEL and your, the way you think about yourself, the way that you 
interact with materials, the way you interact with others, varies depending upon our context, right? And that context is influenced by whether or not we're in a science classroom or a social studies classroom or a blended classroom, right? Like all of these contextual factors fit in. So I think we're going to have a deeper understanding of how we grow and develop contextually, right? And then how does that then also occur developmentally um, across time, right? Because how we use our self-awareness skills is very different from a kindergartner versus a 12th grader versus an adult. So I think those are going to be key in those conversations and understanding that the, the literature around it. And I think having a deeper understanding um, of how to intentionally embed it within classroom settings. So it's um, so we can have that explicit skill instruction, but how are we ensuring um, that it does show up in the different domains of life? And so kids can see how it's situated um, in their academic life, but then also how can they transfer that skill to their work, workplace if they are in high school or how do they do it to a community organization or to a faith-based organization, right? Like we're constantly shifting and growing in these competencies, again, going back to that context. So how can we embed it in classrooms to help transfer those skills into those other uh, domains of life? So exciting to hear you speak so much about the importance of the adult practice and the adult work because, um, you know, we know that it's impossible to take care of others if we're not taking care of ourselves and how can we authentically cultivate or teach social emotional skills if we're not learning and practicing ourselves. And when we started this work 13 years ago, we actually required um, partners to engage in the adult work first, but we encountered such resistance to leaders who said, oh, no, 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 this is not my um, staff's problem. The issue is the kids. The kids are the ones who need this, not my staff. My staff have been doing this for 30 years. And My actual last podcast guest a few weeks ago was Dr. Maurice Elias Mm -hmm. um, from Rutgers, and he's been a friend and mentor for years. And at the time when we were encountering so much resistance in the adult work, he said, Sarah, you just have to backdoor it. You have to think about it as giving a kid an antibiotic and applesauce. And that has been our experience ever since, you know, the last 10 plus years, it's been true. And I'm so excited to hear you speak about the adult work so clearly and with such a focus. And I hope that we can all get on board with that because it's really hard to authentically do this in our communities if we're not Mm -hmm. ambassadors of it too. Um, So last question, Nick, Um, given the work that you're doing, and I know that you're usually constantly on a plane and constantly traveling. You're always someplace presenting, speaking, meeting with partners. Um, How do you practice social emotional learning in your day-to-day? How do you stay socially and emotionally well? So We're not, we're not, we're not. That's a really good question. So um, I'm going to give one one for a complex issue and then one probably a more... um, Simple. So one, I think, um, I think particularly as a white educator, that it's really important for me to do a lot of self-reflection, particularly around my own biases in in the multiple contexts in which I find myself. So um, when I tend to get, uh, in, when I tend to feel or sense my emotions, I try to do a lot of self-reflection and reflect on whether or not that's an internalized bias I have, um, whether that's an interpersonal 
personal, systemic approach, whether it's on race, culture, gender, right? Like I try and do a lot of that internal work my, my, myself. Um, so, and I think that's really important for me to stay emotionally grounded to ensure that I'm acknowledging my own privileges in a space um, and helps me then figure out how I need to interact within that space. And so I think that's really, that's honestly a self-care strategy for myself. Um, and the other ones I think are, you know, pretty typical. I like going to the gym and I've created a, uh, I have a little back room. So I kind of moved my office to my dining room so I could create my <laughs> office into a gym. Um, <laughs> right? Like that was really important. Now folks like um, me in my dining room with wine bottles behind, but uh, <laughs> it's not to work out in. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, other ways, like I try to connect to at least one or two friends every day or family members just to check in on them to see how they are. I watch a lot of awful reality television just because it keeps me happy and, and like <laughs> keeps me rested. So those are engaging <laughs> <laughs> in self-care. <laughs> uh, I love the reality television next to the personal reflection on internal biases. I think you've got a wide, you've got a wide <laughs> range. <laughs> Uh, well, I appreciate you sharing those strategies and hopefully um, they inspire someone who's listening. So this has been such a dynamic conversation. Thank you, Nick, for sharing your um, perspective and your experience. We can go ahead and close this discussion. Or I guess before we do, Nick had mentioned, especially for the states who are interested in learning more, please check out Castle's website um, to access resources and opportunities to engage in the community of practice. Great. So we can go ahead and close um, with three intentional breaths to allow us to ground ourselves from this discussion and move on from, to whatever we have next. So again, if you're comfortable, you can close your eyes. If not, you can just um, direct your gaze to the ground. Let's go ahead and take this first breath for the power of social emotional learning in supporting children and adults. Breath in. Breath out. Let's take this second breath for the community of practice that we are cultivating. This group of people right here who are sharing ideas and strategies and inspiration to better ourselves and our communities. Breath in. And breath out. And let's take this third and final breath for ourselves. May our days be meaningful and productive and our nights peaceful. Breath in and breath out. And whenever you're ready, we can open our eyes. Thank you so much, Nick, for sharing your time with me, with Move This World. This was so interesting. And I know that we all have so much to learn from you and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's great talking to you. 
Thank you for tuning into the SarahCast today. I loved spending this time with you. Before you go, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in and breathe out. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on movethisworld.com. The SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning, is produced by the Move This World Audio Network. Move This World supports social-emotional learning for students, their families, and their school communities through evidence-based curricula rooted in creative expression and movement. You can find additional resources to support SDL in your district, school, classroom, or home on our website, movethisworld.com. I'll see you next time.